I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. This is number 37. I'm here with Paul Jernberg. Um, Paul, welcome. Thank um, you. We've done some uh, podcasts on the theory um, of the ideals of sacred music, and this week we're going to discuss some points of practicalities, in a sense, how we might uh, concretize them, put them into a, a parish in a real situation. Um, before we get to that, could you just perhaps summarize um, just what we've done so far and then introduce the first topic? Sure. Uh, in our last few conversations, we've talked about what sacred music is in the Catholic tradition. And we've looked at the history in East and West. Mm. We've looked at the characteristics that are common to all this music and the characteristics specifically of our Western heritage, which is the primary uh, forms in our Western heritage is our Gregorian chant and sacred polyphony. And so we've, we've looked at that, we've looked closely at their characteristics. And then we've also looked at the developments in our tradition since the Renaissance, and even more closely at the developments since the Second Vatican Council. And we've asserted that there's a, a significant problem, that we're, we have somehow been cut off from the sense of organic continuity with mm -hmm. our traditions. Mm -hmm. and that that is actually quite a serious problem because of the fact that the tradition is there not simply for the sake of we're not called simply to go back to the past to recapture some uh, past glory but rather the tradition holds the key for the purpose of sacred music which is very much about drawing us in i should say first of all about and saying clearly what the liturgy is, uh, reflecting the glory of the liturgy, reflecting the uh, profound spirituality of the liturgy, and then, but then also drawing us in to that reality. This is this is the glory we might say of our tradition, is and and the great traditions both east and west, is not not simply beauty from, a, uh, from an external point of view, but rather this, what we might call a spiritual power to, to draw us in to this reality. And so we see today, we've seen today how that, we've lost that thread, we've lost that continuity, and how this is actually a, uh, something that is, is very important for us to recapture and to, to somehow renew our great traditions. And this was called for by, uh, it's been called for by the church over and over again through the Second Vatican Council. The Second Vatican Council in turn uh, built a lot upon uh, the teachings of Pope Pius X uh, in the early 20th century. So anyway, we've talked about that and then we, we've, uh, We've also talked a little bit about the difference between sacred music and art music. Uh, they, there's a lot of overlap, but there's also some very distinct uh, characteristics that are important for us to realize if we're going to have an authentic renewal of sacred music. So uh, 
and we've talked also about how uh, there, in each of the principles of sacred music, especially those articulated by Pope Pius X, that there, each one of these characteristics is almost like a well. It is like a well of insights. So we can spend a lot of time uh, contemplating, reflecting upon this reality, this great reality of sacred music. But now we need to, I'd like to go take another step and, as you mentioned, to uh, start looking, practically speaking, in our parish situations. How do we do this today? Okay, so the first thing that you've, um, on the topics that you, when we were discussing earlier, you thought we'd get into, we thought we'd get into the repertoire. And yes. immediately I can see situations here where on the one hand, uh, we don't want to get stuck in the past, so everybody's pushing for something new. On the other, we're terrified of what the new stuff might be because um, th this passion for all things new seems to have been what created a lot of the problems in the first place, or so that, that would be the impression. So how do we find the right line between those extremes, if, if that's a fair yes. description? Yes, that's a great question, and I think... Uh, Ultimately, the, the answer to that is the, the um, establishment of a, of a formation in, that has integrity, a formation for priests, for bishops. This is without uh, a renewed formation in the understanding of sacred music, we're always going to be caught between these, uh, these different possibilities. Mm. And... At the, at the heart of this formation, I think it needs to be part of, or part of the formation needs to uh, help priests, bishops see the fact that sacred music is not simply a matter of subjectivity. This is, this is essential, this is a, a, an essential point. Because yes, music does have, of course it has a subjective dimension. But when we're talking about uh, sacred music, we're also talking about some very clear objective aspects, which we've already discussed at length. Most, it seems as if most priests, most bishops have lost sight of these objective standards. And until they get this, we're gonna be bouncing back and forth from, from one thing to the other. So that, that's, <laughs> I'm go, going uh, sort of pre-repertoire here just to, to say that at some point, this formation is going to be essential. This yeah. is essential to go forward together. Um, so so, so that we'll get into the, the repertoire. So the, you know, whether we have hymns and this sort of thing. Yeah. But what you're saying is that for all the fact that we can structure this, there's no getting away from that, that people are making judgments somewhere. The moment you depart from some schema of already composed things from the past, judgments have to be made. And that's, that's, that's why correct. we need that formation. That's um, right. So if we're keeping, let's keep that in mind as we go on then. But what, what pieces, what, what is the repertoire? What should we be looking at? Right. So... Basically, our foundation has got to be our tradition. So this is 
remember, this is just one aspect, but it's an essential aspect. So looking at repertoire for a given parish, we uh, those responsible for the music need to see, need to discover the treasure that the tradition is. There needs to be some set, strong sense of the, the genius of Gregorian chant and sacred polyphony, the genius to draw us into this reality. And, and so I would uh, certainly, there needs to be some uh, dimension of tradition that we include in our repertoire. Uh, otherwise, we'll be, we're gonna be idiosyncratic, we're gonna be, or provincial, mm. as a matter of course. Now, a lot of people are, I think, are discovering that today. And, and you might say, especially in extraordinary form, people will say, well, yeah, here's our genius. All we need to do is go back and, and uh, rediscover this tremendous heritage and just stick with that. But as we spoke about earlier, uh, it's not enough. Mm. And so it, and it's, it's not a matter of then bouncing from our tradition to some uh, secular model. But it's this question of, of looking for new music that is organically connected to our tradition and that, that shares in this genius for drawing us into the, the depths of the liturgy. Now, um, it's good, it would take too much time to go into all the specific pieces, but, but let's look at the, um, well, I need to go back another step here because something we talked about earlier that's now gonna be very important in our, our practical approach is that uh, the music we're looking for is primarily meant to be the vocal music that is for the text of the liturgy itself. So the text of the liturgy includes the ordinary and the propers. And this needs to be uh, a concern of all music directors and pastors that, and most all, most everyone is on board with the ordinary, which is mm. most commonly sung would be the Lord have mercy, glory to God, etc. Not so often sung, the creed is not so often sung, but it's part of the ordinary that is meant to be sung. The gradual or responsorial psalm, the offertory antiphon, and the communion antiphon. No, it's, I've just made a mistake. <laughs> I just made a I start. I, I hop to the propers. Yeah, yeah. Do we want to cut uh, that out? The creed is, is part of the ordinary. So we have the Gloria, the Kyrie, um, the Sanctus and the Agnus Dei. Right. Right. Exactly. And there's also also minor parts, through uh, smaller parts that that can and should be sung, but that are are uh, sort of connecting things or res basic response, like the priest sings, "The Lord be with your you," and and we say, "And with your spirit." So those are also part of the ordinary. Well, okay, so just to it, come in there for a second is there any part of the the mass which can't which shouldn't be sung uh <laughs> i most of it is it is so much of it is said the canon for example you know the, the eucharistic prayer uh, right. but that can be chanted that's uh, right now well, potentially uh, i'm uh, thinking that all that we hear aloud can be sung and all the responses can be sung Potentially, is that right? That's, that's correct. 
Okay. Now, there is a point of controversy, which, uh, and that is the, the Eucharistic prayer itself. Because that, um, it's interesting, when I spoke with a, a, a good friend who was a Hasidic Jew and very, much, very well versed in the traditions and ancient traditions of Judaism, I asked him about this as far as the original, you know, when, when Christ, when Christ uh, instituted the Eucharist, what would he have been singing and what would he have been saying? Okay. And so, and his uh, answer was that most of it would be sung, but we don't know, he did not know as far as the words of institution because that was a new thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, I've heard from other priests and other scholars that are convinced that the Eucharistic prayer was not has not been sung, but rather been uh, been said or quietly said. So that's that's an area that I, uh, of interest that I don't really know the answer to. Okay, that's interesting because that, of course within the Byzantine Catholic churches, everything is sung. Okay. Um, so, or that's my experience anyway. I'm trying to. I think yeah. there's no part which isn't sung that that's right. I can remember. Right. So, yeah. And as we spoke about earlier too, this aspect of the the um, the reality of love, the love of God, calls forth this our singing. You know, is just is a fundamental principle about the liturgy is that it's um, singing allows us to enter more fully and with more fully in love in our worship. I also imagine that uh, th this struck me at a, a church locally where they have a full sort of microphone system. Mm -hmm. And it's a great big echoing basilica. And um, so the effect is that, is that actually I can't understand what's being said. I can't hear the words because you have the, the combination of the amplification and the resonance. Whereas yeah. actually it would be much better if it was chanted and you allowed the building to be the amplifying instrument. Right. I imagine is what it was designed to do. And then it's easier to, if you're in a big church, uh, so that it doesn't sound like you're just bellowing at the congregation. Mm -hmm. um, if you sing it or chant it, then it, it can be loud and audible. Um, and so all those parts, I'm, I'm guessing as a rule of thumb, I'm just throwing this at you, that um, ought to be heard universally within the church. Um, th th they really, the, the easy way to do that, and, and, if we throw ourselves back to a time when there were no microphones, would be chanting. That's how you raise your voice beautifully. Good point. Yes, exactly. And okay. Course, now, now we've got the question of acoustics and sound systems and carpets and so forth. That, that'll come later. <laughs> Get onto that later. I brought that up. Yeah. That is an important. That's that's an important thing, though, to to look at that. Yeah. Given situation. Well, one one. Church, actually, I, I just had to stop going I, I, because I just simply couldn't hear. I, 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 may, I don't know. It made me wonder whether I'm I'm getting old or my hearing's going or something. I just could not make out the words right. that were being sung, um, and even 
and, and it was due to this problem. Um, yeah. I actually found it intrusively distorted, actually, uh, the right. combination of the two. Right. So anyway, yeah. so back to the uh, the ordinary and the propers of the mass. What about hymns? Right. So. Uh, in fact, this is this might seem controversial, <laughs> but it's not at all controversial if we look at the history of the church. And that is that hymns as we know them today are, uh, are an innovation, you might say, uh, that have been allowed as a substitute for the propers and in other places, but were never intended to be a, a long-term substitute. Um, they can be a complement, and I, I don't see anything. I don't see anything problematic as him being a complement to the propers. In other words, we can all sing. We can sing a hymn beforehand. The mass begins, and then have the introit. But um, they are. It's a. It's primarily a. The the kinds of hymns we sing. What we think. What most people think of as classical Catholic hymns are in fact Protestant in origin. Yeah. And now that doesn't mean that they're bad or that we should, we should, we should uh, despise them because they're Protestant, but they're not, they don't have that sense of organic continuity. Also, now, it, it's aside from the, the, the content, the words, mm -hmm. um, and I know I, someone asked me to review a book recently on um, a, a, an examination of the theology of great hymns, you know, these mm -hmm. great Catholic hymns. Right, right. Actually, I refused. I said, because I don't believe the hymns should be there. But yeah. my problem, even aside from the, the content, is that the standard format of hymns, so let's put, let's put aside the sort of modern 1970s stuff, that's, that right, right. traditional hymns um, really is a 19th century uh, style that I, I think musically it, um, undermines the dignity of the, the liturgy actually. Um, and so I would always want to cut those out. If, if you had a hymn, there are liturgical hymns that, from the divine office, which are uh, proper to each feast, and perhaps you could bring those in. Sure, um, sure. But right. that is, that's my personal. <laughs> yeah, no, you have two issues really with the hymns. One is the text, and the other yeah. one is the music. It's the form of the music itself. And some sometimes the the texts of the hymns are are fine. They're they're, they're totally Catholic. Sometimes not. Uh, with, but with the form of the music, the, the traditional form, again, both East and West, there is what we might call a contemplative dimension yeah. to everything that, that's drawing us, that's, that's uh, proclaiming, first of all, that this is a transcendent event, as, and then it's also drawing us in. So, so if you become accustomed to, for example, the... Uh, the style of Gregorian chant and of the Eastern chant, and let's say the Eastern, uh, the S Slavic harmonized chant, you become used to this and you see how the rhythms flow in, a, in such a way 
that there's a, you might say a timeless quality about it. It's a free meter, free uh, free rhythm that that corresponds to the to the rhythm of the text. It's not just it's not chaotic. It's very well ordered, but it's it's ordered to the the rhythm of the text. When you've experienced that and you realize that there's this um, there's depth this depth to it and a, a certain uh, contemplative dimension, then you go and you you put that aside and you do one of our very strongly metered hymns, even with good uh, Catholic theology, it has a different effect. Mm. As a, there's, I wouldn't say that they're all military, but I think it's, it's heading somewhat in that direction. When I'm going bump, 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 bump. Yeah. You know, and, and so, so that's why, not only as far as, far as the text, but also the, 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 uh, the rhythms, and the and the and the form of the music really does say something, and it's important. It occurs to me. I, I know that you um, have done a little bit of this music thing in your own work. That um, if we're going to draw from outside the um, look at other traditions, right? It would be better to look first at um, other ch chant traditions. Mm -hmm. than, Protestant hymn tradition. So why not, for example, have the troparia, which are the the hymns from the Eastern Rite, which are peculiar to a feast, yeah. as an addition to the propers of the Roman Rite. I don't see any conflict there. And I right. think all it could do it in, is enrich it, because theologically they're rich. And they have, as you say, this contemplative um, dimension to the, the musical settings, because they're chanted. Um, right, exactly, and I think that makes perfect sense that um, that we're open to this sharing between traditions. Yeah, and and especially with the the major milestone of inter the introduction of the vernacular, we yes. need we need models to work with here yes. as they we go forward. And that's certainly been a great influence on my own compositions. Is is the Eastern European, yeah. and then Anglican chant as well, I think is, is valid. I, I'm less worried, less keen on the hymns because they seem to be of this sort of 19th century, uh, the Protestant form, but the, the chant structure seems to be a distinct tradition to me musically, but one that is very strong. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that fair? How do, how do you view, view that? I'm certainly open to it, and I, you're much more. Uh, you've been much more immersed in that tradition. Yeah. <laughs> well, I come from England, and I had it. <laughs> so it might be that I, I'm more inclined. Um, but no, anyway. I, I think I, I think why not? I mean, it's it's certainly one of the possibilities. And I think you know, for example, the Te Deum that we've sung, that you yeah. introduced at Thomas More, is is very fitting and beautiful. And, and it has it has that uh, contemplative uh, dimension that we talked about? Right. It's it seems to do so. Incidentally, that setting um, came from the uh, Dominicans at St Albert's Priory here in Oakland. Oh, it was there that I heard, and so they have um, a whole. They, they do the office in English and really sat down and worked out chant settings for the vernacular. I see. And some of it works very well. Some, I think, is a little bit of a work in progress, inevitably. But, you know, the, 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 right. the thing, 
they worked very hard to produce this. And I approached them, um, I asked about it, um, and they sent me the music. And so they had looked at Anglican, and, and so they did a day day to that setting there. And I just thought it sounded great. Yeah. And absolutely um, in harmony, if I can use that word, with what was going on in the rest of the office, which is which was um, Gregorian-based, uh, you know, modal chant in, in, in vernacular. Right. Exactly. And that's, it's very interesting because uh, Pope Pius X, he sort of sets this as a standard of whether or not sacred music is good or not. <laughs> it's to the extent it, it, to which it harmonizes with Gregorian chant. Ah, okay. Very interesting. And and yeah, so, again, he's not saying that everything, and of course, things have changed, the circumstances have changed, but uh, that has always helped me mm. in my own work to say, does this flow, so to speak, can I put these together, not, you know, in, in the same liturgy and, and have a sense of continuity? Yes. Or is it, yeah. in other words, does it stick out? Does it jar in that context? If, if we imagine that everything else is Gregorian chant and you put this in, right. work with it, or would it seem like, um, I don't know, a piece of fluorescent light uh, that, you know, a sort of right. plastic in, in a mm -hmm. natural environment or something? Right, exactly. So, um, okay, so. Anything else on the repertoire there? Yes, yes, definitely. So I think one of the keys here too is for pastors and music directors to have a clear vision and direction of where they're going, and then to be able to, to develop the program in prudence. Because uh, it's, a, it's a valid point brought up by many that um, if I just change everything all of a sudden, everything, you know, if I just turn everything upside down, and who knows, maybe there's situations where it's so uh, confused and messed up, maybe that has to be done. But generally speaking, there's wisdom in taking step by step. Now, but <laughs> this is significantly different. So having a vision based on a, a formation and an understanding of sacred music, formation in and understanding of sacred music, having that vision and heading for it step by step is something very different from responding simply to different uh, special interest groups within a parish and say, okay, we're going to have this traditional mass here, we're going to have this uh, gospel mass here, we're going to have this praise and worship, and, and we're going to and we're going to somehow manage like that. You see, it's, see that there's a big difference, uh, and and I think with that sort of eclectic approach, of and again, if that is part of prudential plan to go forward to an ultimate vision, that's one thing. But if it if it's simply uh, if it becomes a modus operandi for forever for just saying okay, this is how we're going to deal with the liturgy, is just sort of please everybody. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You've, you've got to go from where you are. Um, yeah. the, the, the question in my mind, just as someone, I, I'm not a musical director, but um, so this, this uh, isn't 
playing to the politics of parishes, which I know, which as we know, <laughs> you have to work with very often. Um, but nevertheless, that's, that, that it seems to me um, that uh, where you have a number of masses, um, I think I would rather the, the difficulty in introducing Gregorian chant into the, into a mass which is otherwise misselect music or something yeah. like that is that um, it, 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 you can lose the chant in, in that context. The, 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 it's when it's surrounded by this noise of other sort. So maybe I, I take your point of having this vision of everything should mm -hmm. be, we should aim to the best, aim to, to be presenting in the best way. But um, I, if I was, if I had the opportunity, it occurred to me that I would rather, even if I picked a mass that's at an unusual time, I'd have something that, that represented that ideal completely, yeah. and then allow that gradually to inform the other masses. Yeah, that makes very much sense. Um, because I just feel that if you have a mixture of both, people. Well, you're not hearing the Gregorian chant in its best light either. It's devaluing it when it's in the right. which is predominantly other sorts. Right. So. That that makes that makes sense. So th there's all sorts of prudential judgments that need yeah. to be made, and and it's true that chant you put together chant with contemporary 70s, 80s, and it's going to seem there's going to be something ludicrous about the whole thing. Yeah. And and the chant itself will not. And, and yeah. It, it's, it's not going to be a harmony for sure, yeah. so to speak. Anyway, so good luck to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that is a difficult thing to manage in a very real situation. That's right. In, in, in most situations, I think it's, we have to admit that this is very, it, it, it's far from the ideal and it's very problematic for a lot of people and we it, we have a great need for uh, fixing this and for a, a renewal of sacred music. There's, there's tremendous need, and that ultimately, which I'm now I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but ultimately it's really a call to conversion uh, yeah. because it, it's not you know sacred music is connected to the liturgy, the liturgy is connected to the faith. And to living the living the, uh, the living the faith, walking with Christ, all these things are intimately connected to one another, and and there needs to be a deep conversion. If people are feeling comfortable with the status quo, and uh, wanting just to keep on, you know, sort of manipulating that in a way to please more people. It's not. It's it's not going to go very far. Yeah, as we see, the the effect, you know, the the attendance at mass has gone into freefall since this mm -hmm. this approach was tried, right. and so it's like sort of constantly sticking with an ointment, which just seems to uh, allay the pain, but it's not it's not actually dealing with the underlying problem at all. Right. I'd say another aspect of repertoire, David, before we wrap this up, yeah. is, is also that of, of uh, instruction or formation for parishioners. Right. So, so that they, the, so that we do what we can, or the, the pastor and music director does what, 
do what they can to, to help people understand why we're taking these steps. And so to, to see that there's a rhyme and a reason to this that are really important. And that's why we're going. And then it's going to take courage on the part of, of everyone. Yeah. And at some point, you have to be prepared to say we're going to lose a few people. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, the, the, I think that you know, if that happens, that's a shame. But in the end, we have to think about the people outside the church who won't walk in because they can't bear the music that we have already. And I suggest to you, there's 19 of those for every one who just loves the missalette music. Right, right. There are 19, maybe more, 99 people who simply can't bear it and won't come in. Right, And, and the people who come to funerals and weddings and so forth and hear what's going on, and maybe they're seekers, and they say, this is a joke. Yeah, it is unfortunately, or they, you know, they may not articulate it that way, but they they don't see anything or they don't hear anything in the music that that is showing them that there's something here worthwhile to pursue. Yeah. So if I could just go back and and read at one point before we, and I, this is my second time I'm saying this before we're uh, finishing up repertoire, but I want to make it clear that there while we need tradition and that's absolutely essential we need just as much this openness to new inspiration and to uh, adaptation that has been called for by the introduction of the vernacular and by the situation we're in right now so that's what one of the things that makes it very exciting for me to look at repertoire is because of the fact that you know we can participate in the great tradition through uh through new compositions that are orienting themselves to it, but also that are, are are offering fresh and new beautiful uh works that that are settings for the liturgy yes and uh rise at the Cutting edge, of course, your own music. You won't say it, but I will. <laughs> Which I think fulfills everything you're describing. Well, I, I think that we'll finish the podcast there. That's a nice length. Okay. Um, and so, Paul Jernberg, thank you very much. And next time we'll consider, I think, more logis- logistical issues, including sound systems. Sounds good. <laughs> My particular issue. Paul, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.